In association with the Omniverse Comics Guide, this is the Cave of Solitude, your pop culture and comic book podcast coming to you from all over the world. This is episode 293. back kevin boyd welcome back to the cave of solitude it's been a long time since we've done this man it's good to have you glad to be back and see it has been a while right so yeah but but since we've last spoken all of the shows are back you've been traveling like i don't know even how to describe how much traveling you've been doing i don't think there's a metaphor that could match it but how have you been how's your year been so far back on the road it's uh well it's been interesting but it's been good you know like non-stop shows like pretty much since february with vancouver um we had a couple shows in january i i skipped one and the other was canceled but uh yeah pretty much since since vancouver it's been like a show every couple of weeks so was that the first one that you flew out for because i remember we had toronto in october so uh oh there were a bunch last year i'm not even counting last year okay we did orlando boston uh, Chicago, Dallas, Denver, plus Toronto, mm-hmm. wow. and Calgary. And then this year it's been Vancouver, back to Toronto, Philly, Calgary, Cleveland, St. Louis, Orlando, Dallas, Denver, Chicago. Jeez. And then next month it's Boston, then Canada for Toronto. Um, and then I think Edmonton September, Dallas again in October, which I skipped that one. And then we finish off in November, late November, with San Francisco. And we may or may not have the Christmas show. I'm not sure what's going on with that one. So what, what is it with skipping Dallas? Is that just too too much at that point? You need a break? Oh, it's a tiny show. It's a, it's oh. A little, right? so, I I've never gone because it's like there's 15 comic guests maximum. Okay. And so with multiple tables and stuff, I think it's actually like 10 this year. So uh, there's just no point in me going. And they sent me some email today. They're like, oh, we want to change it up. We want to do programming and all that. Well, you got to pay me for that (laughs) because that's not what you contracted me to do. You contracted to deliver, you know, X number of guests. And that's it. No programming. Just book them, seat them, and arrange for them to get there. So... Because it really is a small show, right? So. so when you're all this traveling that you're doing, you're seeing a lot of like great American, North American cities. Do you have other than you know the the home show where you get to sleep in your own bed? Do you have a a show away from home that you're like that's a good one? So uh, it's been different. I mean, every show is different, and uh, for me now, it's like the quality of the hotel, right? Mm. So which. <laughs> So we've done the Hyatts, the Hiltons, and the Embassy Suites and all that stuff. Actually, Embassy Suites is pretty good because they give you pre breakfast and uh, there's a happy hour, but I'm never around for happy hour. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's been our, like, I was surprised that Denver, I didn't love it last year because of that altitude. Oh, but right. I've been prepared for it this year and in the summer, and it was actually a lot of fun. That's good. And, and the, the turnout was fantastic. So Denver has a good comic culture. You never know, like not, not me not traveling throughout the United States. I've been to like Florida and New York, and you know certain places are kind of known for hobbyists. Yeah. But 
So Denver's a, a fun show to go to. I always hear good things about the state. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, the guests really had a good time. Uh, and I think they were really impressed with the turnout. But I, I, I don't know if it has a good comic culture or not. I mean, I think it does. Mile High Comics is right there. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So they, they definitely, but they don't support the show. They don't come out. So That's so strange. Say, right? Yeah. I guess I have noticed that some shops sometimes feel that they're such a big entity in themselves that I remember I went into one shop. I'm like, you guys going to Fan Expo this year? They're like, huh. We do our own shows. I'm like, all right, take it easy. But yeah. I, I don't know if, if Mile High is like that, where it's, they're so big that they're their own entity. But um, yeah, that's cool. I'd like to, I'd love to travel yeah. to Denver one day. An opening night party, so they had a bunch of guests. So it was people I didn't pay for. So I wouldn't feel so. I didn't feel so bad about it. If I was paying for those guests and they went to somewhere that they didn't talk to me about it, then I'd be a little concerned. But so they, they threw like a pre con con at their store and i'm like isn't that kind of like kind of take away from what we do a little bit yeah so i'm not like it's basically saying don't go pay to the show go to my store and meet these eight artists and uh like whatever i mean i I know uh, i've known chuck for a long time and i know his daughter rowan who i think runs the day-to-day operations of the store so uh, you know, it'd be nice to actually discuss these things with them, but I think they because it's different walls and who they talk to, and they talk to sponsorship people and they talk to the retailer people and then they don't know and yeah, just broken telephone. Right, so. right. There's so much. I guess for a lot of people who might be listening to this for the first time, Kevin is the coordinator for Fan Expo shows. Yeah, yeah. So oh. I do all the comic stuff. I deal with the guests, what they do. All that stuff basically your volume just is, is going up and down a bit i don't know if that's on your end or yeah. my end that's mine it's it's um i should turn off facebook oh okay we're message messaging each other and it's popping up on my feed so uh, okay got it got it um yeah we were saying the what, what it is that you do go ahead i interrupted you so i i i book the comic guests for the show um I also figure out what they're going to do at the shows, where they're going to be seated. I work with the travel team on their travel flights, hotel, or whatever we come to agreement on. Um, most most guests are table only, so there's not much. And then I work with different departments, so the kids zone and uh, some of the stage things, and uh, and then of course special events that we have, special comic events like in Denver we had Jimmy, for example. And um, this keeps happening. <laughs> <laughs> You're a popular guy. Everyone wants to talk to Kev. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's uh, I'm in a group, and I turned off Facebook. So, but they love chatting. So about stuff. Would so. Sam Noir happen to be a part of that group? No. Oh, well, actually, yes, he is. <laughs> yeah, it had to be. <laughs> yeah. Of course, he is. Yeah, that's so funny. I knew it. As soon as you said there's a group where they love to chat, I said Sam's in it for sure. Omar is in it for sure, and it actually is. <laughs> so, so for for the show coming up that we've got in just over a month's time now, right? It's yes. the no longer the long weekend, the Labor Day long weekend. It's the third weekend of August. It's the week before Labor Day. Yeah. Do you like it better so at it's that? August 20- 
Do you like it better? 100%. I prefer it not being on the long weekend. Yeah, it's I me too because I mean it's good to know that on this calendar like long weekend fan expo but it eliminates all these other things that you may want to do at a, you know, end of summer sort of thing. So I love the fact that there's a good weekend prior to the long weekend to always look forward to again. Um, who do we got coming this year? What are some of the guests that people could look forward to returning to Toronto or coming well, for the first time? Greg Capullo is always a favorite. He's coming back. Uh, Arthur Adams, he's coming back as well. Mark Brooks, it's been a few years since he's been here. Tom King, Jason Fabok, of course, will be coming in from Windsor. Ken Lashley will be here. Tony Daniel, Don, Tony, uh, sorry, Don, Donnie Cates. Nice. And Brian Stegman, fresh off of uh, King and Black last year and, and killing it on Hulk right now and Thor. Uh, we've got some great European guests like Lee Bermejo, Giuseppe Comancoli. Uh, we've got Inhak Lee coming in from Asia, Steve McNiven, Sean Gordon Murphy. Wow. Roberto Ramos from Mexico. Nice. Steven Segovia from, from Croatia. He's doing the Scorch for Todd McFarlane. James Tinian. Cool. Massive writer. Like, and then a bunch of people that work with him on like books like Something is Killing the Children, House of Slaughter. Nice house on the lake, like all the different different collaborators, like uh, and and Department of Truth, Martin Simmons, Mirth, Werther Deladera, like it's crazy. Uh, Zeb Wells, amazing Spider-Man writer, Josh Williamson, the Dark Crisis writer, uh, like it just keeps going on. <laughs> some some Canadian favorites like Nick Bradshaw, yeah, Michael Cho, Wes Craig. Uh, John Delaney from The Simpsons and stuff. If you if you need anybody to help host panels, I'm more than happy to help with some of these right? guys. Well, you know, like we just had a meeting last <laughs> week, and you know what's coming back? What's that? The stage. The one that we did for the October show. Yeah. Why this time with chairs? Oh, great idea! Everyone likes a chair, right? Revolutionary. So, so what's uh what's making them go with that? Is it for all the panels or for a lot of the no, comic based ones? We'll still have we'll still have sketch duels and some bigger panels upstairs. Okay. They wanna so rather than use like we have that signing area and the way the business has changed over the years, we used to have the big signing area and we'd schedule signings for the bigger guests. Right. They just leave their tables. They want to sign at their tables. Right. So I'm giving them a little bit more room around them, those that need it. And, uh, and then we're creating this signing, this stage area, I should say. So the stage will be a place where we will do things like we did last fall. We'll do short burst comics programming, like, hey, Dave McKay is going to do a coloring demo for half an hour. Or like we want to talk about the latest Kickstarter from Martin Dunn. You know, like, uh, you know, that kind of Martin Duncan, I should say. Like, oh, right, uh, right, right. Yeah. Yes. So Perfect. If we want to do these kinds of things, this is the place to do it. We'll still have, again, we could do our sketch tools on the big stage and everything. But we could do, like, short drawing demos on, yeah. the, on the creator stage. Yeah. And it'd be good, too, we I think, for something like that. I mean, not to dictate your programming, but you have a lot of local people who may not be big names um, in Marvel or DC yet or selling major books, but they're on their way there. So for have for like homegrown talent, do like a quick twenty-five minute, thirty-minute spotlight on them would be kind of cool for people that are walking by. 
to know that you got homegrown people here to support. The great thing too is not far from people's tables. Yeah. So they don't go up and down floors and take time, like a lot of time away from it. They just walk over, grab a drink in the green room, pop on stage for 20 minutes or half an hour, then right back to the table. And they don't have to worry about it. They can, we have a private washroom for them back there, so it's all nice. They can hang out, they can chill, you know, snacks for them and stuff. So it's, it's, a, it's a very civilized experience. <laughs> that's good i'm looking forward to it it was uh it was an experiment the first time especially because of everything slowly reopening and um there was no seating area yet so it was sometimes you'd get a crowd and then sometimes you'd be like man if there were chairs here they might be sitting around for this but this will be nice to know that we'll be able to sit there and uh you know have a a, a whole different type of paneling for the event because that's i think that's always a highlight for people who are getting into it those panels you really get your money's worth yeah exactly yeah and, and you know if you're on the floor and you want to take a break and just listen to some programming this is the thing to do right that's cool yeah so other than all of the work that's going in well you know what let me continue asking you a little bit about going back to shows because it mm -hmm. is a new era of going back to yeah. shows how have you found the adjustment over the last couple months of just protocol people following it or even just the creators uh, getting them to and from these events because i feel like that's a whole other thing you got to deal with now that was never a thing before well i mean everyone's eager to get back to shows so the the, the creators are anxious for the most part anyone who's not anxious is still sitting there they're just not they're gonna they're not gonna come to shows but I mean, we showed we showed last year that you could come back and do shows safely. There weren't massive outbreaks at Fan Expo shows. We we did manage to keep things. Uh, we followed the rules. You know, like we wore masks. We had vaccination requirements, all that stuff. Now we've moved into the next era where some of those rules have lightened up a bit. We're still recommending that people do masks whenever possible. They wash up and all that stuff. We don't require it, uh, and that because of course it gets uh, dodging the different areas and they have different rules and laws and so forth. So you can't really, if an area says you can't have a mask mandate, then we can't have a mask mandate. And in theory, we could because we're a private event, but we don't want to get into that nonstop fighting that happens, right? With with political groups and everything else, like left and right in the states, it gets a little rough so um, so generally we'll just say hey let's you know let's say if Jim Lee wants you to wear a mask and especially then you wear the mask it doesn't matter like we just basically advise people ahead of time you say listen Jim Lee's here he's requesting you wear a mask and everybody's cool with it like I didn't have a single person say I I'm not doing that or I would have canceled my ticket because this is so unfair to me and my rights and all that stuff but when you do admission to the show, it gets a little tougher, right? So, Yeah, and I think it's very fair for, I guess, a creator who's going to be drawing a big crowd. If that's his request, it's, it's like when you go to watch certain comedians or certain concerts, they put your phone in a bag. Like, you got to, if you want to go, that's going to be what you got to deal with, right? So I get that. And I get also why it's probably easier to just go with whatever is what's required in that place at that time. It's probably the easiest thing for you to do as a, you know, organizer. Yeah. Cuz yeah, everyone's ready to keep fight. An eye on things, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everyone's ready to fight these days for something all the time. 
It's got to oh, yeah. be exhausting. Well, part of it is we've been cooped up, right? So people are angry and they're restless, and we just got to, you know, you got to be zen. Yeah, it's good to remember that because you're, you know, more more and more studies are showing like a lot of these people who kind of lose it on society are people who have been isolated for way too long and not in contact with people. And yeah. when our whole culture has essentially been like that, I mean, we do our Zoom calls and we go to work and maybe we we're married with kids, like all that, sure. But it's just not the same as being in the mall or just being at a restaurant. You know, we, we are learning our manners again in a weird way. You would think that we wouldn't lose them, but we're all kind of like figuring each other out. Patience mm -hmm. is tested. But yep. going to these shows and knowing that people are excited again, it's it kind of restores a little bit of that hopefulness that we need. Yeah, yeah I mean, the I don't want to say... I don't like the idea that we have to live with COVID. I'd, I'd like to see COVID gone, uh, but and unfortunately it is lingering and there's no way we've passed the point where we can eliminate it. Right. We can just eat it when it gets bad and, and you know, you know, move on and, or at least be less worried about it when it's not that bad. Yeah. Like I think we're going through a little bit of a surgence now in, in Ontario. So, um, that that really only affects the travel side of things which is coming up i think they're starting to request more testing for people who are coming in from outside of toronto and outside of canada so that may affect some of our guests right like i had a guest just cancel edmonton unfortunately because he's not uh vaccinated right so he doesn't want to do the testing and uh he has to get vaccinated. He tells me he has issues with allergies and stuff like that. And I'm saying, all right, well, I'm sorry to hear that. Maybe sometime in the future. Right. We'll have you back. But yeah. It's, uh, it does really require us to be patient with each other because it is a new turning point in history, whether we realize it being a part of it or not. We just got to be very patient with each other. And yeah. it's, it's short and these days. I've worked in medical research for 30 years before this, and I, I've been through pandemics with SARS and other things. So you just got to, you know, follow what the health recommendations are and, and just take care of yourself. And like I got my fourth booster shot today. So I went over the after lunch and I'm very excited. So no side effects or anything like that. I'll probably be tired tomorrow, but, but it's all good. You know, if I'm going to be dealing with the public, I want to be you know, the best protection I can get. So, yeah. And, and for somebody who travels as much as you and who's constantly around thousands of people makes sense. Yeah. Makes total sense. I get you. So on the, um, the fan side of things, because as, as much as you are the organizer for all things, fan expo comics related in my books, if there was a council of 12 people that were the comic book historians of our time, you'd have to be on the council representing oh, our city. So we got to talk about our fandom now. What sure. are some of the things that you've been, uh, have you, are you caught up on everything and, and what have you enjoyed the most recently? What, not specific shows, whatever you've watched. Okay. Oh, show wise. Well, yeah, I, let's I'm go with shows so far. My shows for the most part. Um, I love Star Trek Strange New Worlds. I thought that was amazing. Okay, haven't seen it's, it. The Star Trek show with Captain Pike and Spock. Okay. Just captures the spirit of the original series. Okay. In an updated format. And and I didn't like Discovery and some of those other shows, but this was, this is just fantastic. It's got the episodic nature and everything. It feels very 60s. Um, That's cool. I, I did watch Obi-Wan and 
it was like a good two and a half hour movie in that six hours. Yeah. But you know, like it, it had some great moments like the, the final battle with Darth. Yeah. And, uh, but it also had some moments where I'm like, they didn't just really put Leia under the trench coat and try to smuggle her across a room of stormtroopers. They didn't do that. Did they? Yeah, of course they did. Yeah. Before under the coat thing so like <laughs> yeah like right Bugs cartoon or something a little bit but then you had you had these strange moments where it felt silly and somewhat low budget and then you had this extraordinary moment which was like one of for me like some of them are like that's one of the coolest things i've ever seen in star wars but you have to kind of go through a lot you got to wade through a lot of the pool to get to those points it feels sometimes yeah, exactly. Are you? Uh, I'm starting to feel, and I never thought I'd say this, a little bit of MCU fatigue. I haven't um, watched Miss Marvel yet. My wife wanted to wait until all the episodes were were out so we could kind of mm-hmm. binge it. But I haven't been in love with anything since No Way Home. Like that was the last thing that I was like, great, that was everything I wanted. But after that, it's been it's been okay. No Way Home was so great, right? Um, and such a fan pleaser, like Endgame level fan pleasing. Um, but yeah, I mean, Moon Knight was disappointing. Were you disappointed just, with just, it? Yeah, I would have liked more Moon Knight in my Moon Knight show, but uh, <laughs> they did. You read the uh, the Jeff Lemire series with Jeff Small? I did. I did. I felt yeah. like it was really just a building off of that premise. More or less, yeah. Did you like I, that series? I did a lot. Actually, I love Greg Smallwood's artwork in it. Yeah. So, uh, but I, I, I mean, to me, it, it's tough to reconcile that with the, um, you know, the hippopotamus driving the boat in the sands. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> That's true. Oh, I forgot that. about that. Are you a big Moon Knight fan? I haven't read much Moon Knight, so I didn't go in with baggage. So I enjoyed so it. So I, classic movie. Classic. If you get a chance, if you're looking for great Marvel comics of the '80s, read the Bill Sienkiewicz and Doug Bench. I have them. I have all the epics. Yeah. yeah, they're they're a great read. Right through to like issue 28 or so, and then I think after that, Carl Potts steps in and uh, and a few other people. So. Uh, but Bench and Sikavich do some great stuff. And there's like two issues in particular, Werewolf by Night Story and like 24, 23 and 24, or 27 and 20, I don't remember which one's there. Somewhere in the 20s. But they are just fantastic. Best interpretation of Werewolf by Night ever. Okay. And, and Moon Knight is on his game. And they, at that era, he was Marvel's Batman. Right. He was basically the rich guy with all the tech. Right. fighting crime but he had he used like and it wasn't multiple personality disorders that was a later on thing but he when was did that like, come in who who introduced that i think ben decided a lot of that in because uh, oh. just did a series with uh uh with a few people or and, 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 and basically moon knight uh decided that he was spider-man wolverine yeah etc so all of the the personalities that he had, so that whole personality disorder that wasn't in the Sienkiewicz and Munch run, the original run, he was just a straight up, I don't know, debutante or just rich guy that was a vigilante. 
essentially. So the, the origin's similar, right? So he is a he's a mercenary. Mercenary, right? Who dies in the desert, and when he's dying in the desert, Khonshu visit, visits him and says, "And they did this perfectly in the show. That's that's the origin of the name." Khonshu comes down and says, "Mark Spector, will you be my avatar? Right, and fight for fight for good people, fight for the good on." on you know, and I'll give you like he didn't have supernatural abilities, but uh, when he was when it was nighttime and he was in the Moon Knight costume, he was a little tougher, a little faster. You know, like like uh, aided a bit by the the powers of Khonshu. And then later on, they added mystical elements, like he had talismans that would help enhance his strength and stuff. But, uh, so he he takes the money that he found from dig sites, I guess treasures he found or whatever because he's a bit of a grave robber he sets himself up a new identity as Stephen grant who's this rich play, uh, playboy type okay and, and he lives with marlene who's the daughter of the the dig leader who was killed by his mercenary partner bushman which you kind of see in the show yeah and then his friend frenchie from the french foreign legion is his right. pilot right so he pilots the moon copter and so, uh, like Batman has uh, his alternate identities when yeah. he goes and, and research stuff, so did Stephen Grant or uh, Mark Spector as Stephen Grant also would moonlight as Jake Lockley, the cab driver. And, uh, ah. and uh, so, so kind so of in the same way that Batman would be um, matches Malone. Exactly. Exactly. Right. right. He has his other persona. When he's doing work outside of the Batman costume, not being Bruce Wayne. Yeah, he's like, I want to dig up some dirt. How do I get into? I'm gonna drive my cab around in the worst parts of town and keep my ears open and hope to find some information. I see. Right. So the I've been tempted, but I I just can't pull the trigger because I don't know enough about it. But the era where it was Hudson and Benton writing Moon Knight, there's that uh-huh. omnibus that's out now. Any any good? I didn't. I didn't get that one. I mean, David Finch kills it on the artwork on the first uh, Hudson one. Yeah. Uh, but I never read those books. I just I skipped them at the time. They looked super violent and uh, and, and uh, like I just didn't hear good things about it enough to make me want to buy them. Okay. So that's that is an era. Less less. Uh, like it was it was big because CGC Signature Series was around at that time. And I remember a lot of people were getting books signed. But I, I don't remember much after that. And that, that spun right into the Bendis era okay. afterwards. So that he was dealing with multiple personalities. Ah, I see. As well. So, yeah. Yeah, I just, I found it, uh, he seemed like a character that was a little daunting to know where to get it, get into the, the mythology. And I just kept reading that the Lemire and Smallwood series was, you know, ranked among some of the best Moon Knight stuff. But it, it also feels like, you have to go into that series knowing a little bit, a little bit of something about the character. Yeah. And if you don't, it's not going to be as impressive. No. So, it kind of I, I appreciated it, but it, it didn't leave a mark on me in the way that the stuff that you're describing would have. Yeah. And there's all these different starts and stops. Like you got Bendis who did it for a bit. It wasn't a very long stretch. Then you had all these other people in the middle. David Finch worked on it. Like it just seemed a little bit of starts and stops all the time and something crucial gets added or taken away that makes you feel like yeah 
Is that like, the, I, is that a jumping on point? I didn't mind the the Max Bemis run that follows the Jeff Lemire run. Okay, he addresses a lot of the stuff. So, uh, and his run really addresses the idea of the Sun King, who is like the opposite of the Moon Knight. Um, so he's the avatar of Horus. Okay, that's cool. Sun. So, but he's kind of like the cult leader in um, in the Moon Knight show. So instead of uh, Amit, who's his avatar, it's Horus. So he has the powers of the sun, and sun energy. He's formed a cult, and uh, Mark Spector has to break it. That sounds good. That's yeah. so. So Max Bemis was uh, after Lemire. Who was the artist on that? Was it one uh, just a one artist? So it was all over the place. I know Ty worked on it for a little bit, um, but I remember who the other artists were that were on it. Maybe Declan. Well, actually, there's a great Declan Shelby run that precedes Jeff Lemire's with Warren Ellis, right? Where they did the six issue, yeah. yeah. And that's a great run too. The whole Mister Knight thing. That's right. Instead of being again like a separate person, like the show made it so that when Stephen was in charge, Mister Knight was his alter ego, uh, and then when when Mark was in charge, it was Moon Knight. Yeah, so, but that's from the Lemire stuff, right? He's the one who really kind of put that in place well no the, so the so warren ellis establishes that moon knight has decided to become more of a consulting detective as opposed to right. just an action guy right so so he he starts wearing a suit and starts mm-hmm. you know investigating crimes as mr knight but it's still moon knight right he's just wearing a different outfit but he can change when he decides to do more action stuff he changes into his superhero outfit right right and goes with frenchie and, and all that stuff but when he's working with the police, then he goes down as Mr. Knight because it's less unsettling for the, uh, the right. police officers. They could deal with a guy in a white suit as opposed to like a guy with a long white cape and the hood and all that stuff. Gotcha. Yeah, no, that was a good series. Um, so the, the show was a disappointment all in all when it's all said and done. Um, yeah, I mean, it still is an acting tour de force. You know, yeah. like Oscar Isaac really is good in that, and I have no like his performance was great. But I think they were trying to uh, create something different with Moon Knight, and I think they strayed a little bit too far away from what made Moon Knight really interesting, and they turned him into like supernatural avatar guy, and it just didn't didn't work for me uh, personally. But uh, but the the stuff about the child abuse stuff was was interesting. I thought that was an interesting take. Where it was his mother who abused him, and he created the persona as a result of running away from that. Right. Something that could stand up to her. Yeah. And be good about it. There is a lot of depth to it, but but it does. You do have to that suspension of disbelief sometimes really has to. You have to watch it in the right frame of mind. I think when you get to the hippopotamus on the ship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I haven't seen it, so if you could avoid spoilers, that'd be cool. But did you like Miss Marvel? I like Miss Marvel a lot. Yeah, it really, it really does. Um, again, it's not; it's a Marvel show, so uh, I talk about disappointing with Marvel. Marvel's Marvel's getting into a pattern that they need to fix, which is they have to have a villain that's kind of like the hero. Uh, they have to have certain things happen, and backstories. You know, just it, it, and it ends up just turning into a giant mess at the end so you don't feel a satisfactory end to the right. storyline. But Miss Marvel, the first two or three episodes are fantastic. Again, 
it's exactly right out of the comics. It's right out of Gene Willow Wilson and Adrian Alfona's story. You know, uh, definitely catches that feel uh, of family dynamic and characters, uh, like personality. I love that first run that they did. Those first 19 issues, I love it. Yeah. So it's, it, you know, you'll, you'll appreciate this for sure. And the friends and the world and the community, it's all really very, very good. And then it starts developing into something else. And uh, they have to try to explain what her powers are because it's, they're no, they don't want to make her an inhuman. So they, they go into other areas. Like, What's the reason for that now to change such a key component of her backstory, being an inhuman? Is it just the complications of trying to tie them in? Well, how do you explain inhumans in the Marvel Universe if not introduce the inhumans? It's just too... There's too much baggage there to say, oh, she got exposed to Terrigen Mist, and then she was in a cocoon. And then when she emerged from the cocoon, she had these powers. Now, people may be familiar with it from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., or they may be familiar with it from that god-awful Inhuman show. Or, or they'll know they'll just have seen Black Bolt if they saw Multiverse of Madness. Exactly. Right. But that's, there's not enough in any of those to really go right into this Marvel show and say that there are humans in the, in the MCU. And, you know, it's all like, oh, here's I would love to see her with Lockjaw. That would have been great. Yeah. And maybe she will. But, and there is a there is an end credit thing that is important to watch, and I'm not going to spoil it for you. Okay. It, it definitely opens up other doors. Yeah, I've heard rumblings of it, but I, I do want to watch the show fresh. And not to be too persuaded by everybody's, you know. Sometimes you can get wrapped up in the week-to-week stuff like I was with WandaVision. I mean, we all were with WandaVision. So yeah. sometimes it's nice to just watch it at your own pace and, and take it for what it is. But um, movie-wise, the latest one being Thor, how did you feel? All right, so Doctor Strange, I liked. I like Doctor Strange. I know some people have been critical of it. They're like, oh, this isn't how Wanda was left in WandaVision. Uh, she she's using the Darkhold, which is an evil book, and right. turning her evil. So I can accept that she's not exactly the same as she was at the end of uh, One Division. Right. So um, uh, I I enjoyed it. I, I thought Cumberbatch is always great as Doctor Strange, and I love Sam Raimi. So it had a lot of stuff that I really enjoyed. Uh, was it as multiversy as I would have liked for Multiverse of Madness? No, I would have loved to see more. But I think it's still uh, like pretty solid. I enjoyed it. It was fun. <laughs> but you dodged the Thor question by talking oh, about Multiverse. Right, so I, I skipped it because I figure I'll go sequential. Thor <laughs> I saw when I was in Chicago. Okay, I get it. Uh, I was... Uh, so I was very tired. Uh-huh. It was a long, busy day in Chicago. Uh-huh. And so I went to Thor and I laughed a lot. Right. There's a lot of humor. It's Taika Waititi. I don't know what it is about Chris Hemsworth, but Chris Hemsworth is hilarious as Thor. Yeah. He's not the Thor I know from the comics, but he's like no. goofy Thor. But I like it. I, I like that Thor can be goofy. And, you know, in the old comics, Thor was goofy because he spoke like a Shakespearean. 
Right. And he was always uh, like, hey, let's go enjoy some mead and, you know, things like that. So uh, so I, I can accept that he's kind of goofy. And I like the little bit where he misses the hammer and he's trying to call it back. And the other hammer is jealous. It's, it's cute. Um, but I thought it really, it took two great storylines by Jason Aaron. Yeah. The God Butcher storyline and then the whole Mighty Thor storyline. And it truncated them into something that was much lesser. Yeah. And lost over. It was like not even the greatest hits of those storylines. Yeah. I, so. I, I agree. I um, I didn't appreciate Ragnarok right away. I appreciate it on subsequent viewings. I say that a lot. But it took me a little bit of time to digest that Thor was a comedy now. Like, yeah. But it worked, it worked with Ragnarok a little bit better. Than I found it did this time because I yeah. felt sometimes there were really good moments that you needed to focus in on a little bit more where the immediate joke takes away from the heart of the story you're trying to tell, which I felt right. was, was kind of being done. It got to a point where it's like, ah, you guys don't know where to pull it back at this point because you're having too much fun. Yeah. And you're right because you got this really, really cool story with, the god butcher that i feel i mean imagine if you had the three thors i keep saying that yeah or if you if some way somehow it was thor and beta ray bill who go to stop gore like you know you you bring in the greatest hits of thor and then you you have the element of jane take your time with that because it's a good story like you said there's a lot to mine from there yeah, I mean, they could have left it so that Thor was stranded in space, no, no longer worthy. Yeah. And, and Mjolnir is taken over with Jane, and you could have done a Jane TV show, or you could have done a Jane movie afterwards. And then, um, or, you know, I, I would still love to see a fifth Thor movie where um, basically Beta Ray Bill walks in and walks off with the hammer. Because that's his hammer, right? Stormbreakers is his. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I hope that's what they do. They got to. I mean, mm-hmm. any is there another character other than maybe Balder the Brave that is more iconic in Thor than Beta Ray Bill? Um, that we haven't no, seen we, yet. We've seen everything else, right? Um, there are some Thor villains that we haven't seen, but I don't think we need to see Mangod or Mangog. No. Anything like that. So... Thor is very cosmic, so yeah. he he would have te- he did team up with the Guardians in space, and maybe we could have had Thor find Galactus, and that could have t- like started that off, right? Yeah, a Thor versus Silver Surfer moment. Yeah, that'd be cool. But and, and this is the problem with all of these movies is they have so much promise, and they're always going to be disappointing. Mm. So you just gotta, I just gotta roll like when I go, I just roll with it. I'm like, okay. Just as long as it doesn't really suck. But, <laughs> like, like uh, here we've got a character called the God Butcher. Yeah. And we know he wants Thor's hammer, and he's keeping track of them. So Thor flies to a place where gods live. Why wouldn't the God Butcher show up and just start massacring them? That would have been a huge action piece yeah. with all sorts of stuff going on. And it was just like lost opportunities. Like, now let's just have some comedy with Zeus and orgies. And Thor being naked and stuff like that. It's like, eh, it's kind of amusing, but this isn't like, 
it's just like it's just i mean it's entertainment it's it's not they're missing the story they're missing the story and and i think what annoys me people will be like oh you're such a fanboy what annoys me is not so much like you didn't follow the comic pay it panel for panel i don't care for that that's not the point it's mm. more you you're gonna now you've made this story the one that everybody will think of when you talk about this great story they're gonna associate it with it's almost like people saying to you didn't the joker kill batman's parents because that was the 89 batman movie it's like no and that's why when the movies come out or a tv show comes out you know it's gonna change stuff which is fine but it it, when they do things that's like now that becomes the what the character is known for which isn't at all what the character is known for and nobody what people will think comic books are silly because of this Thor movie and like the Assad Ribic 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 I don't know how you say it sounds like I'm a frog right now but the Assad Ribic art is so like incredible it's just amazing to look at it almost feels like it's straight out of the book of myths yeah the way he draws it you know such a sight to see and it isn't I mean it's funny in the sense that Thor is a as a funny cosmic character speaking Shakespearean for sure, but when you see young Thor, Avenger Thor, and King Thor going to fight the God Butcher, that's cool shit. Yeah, that would have been great to see. Yeah, and then later on you get the daughters of Thor. And... Yeah, and there's a lot of humor there. Yeah. So I don't know. I, part of me felt like Chris Hemsworth is is having a little too much fun. It's almost self indulgent, like. This is my character now. I can almost do anything I want, and this is how I want to play it. And his kids are all in it. I mean, I get it. It's really cool. I would do the same thing if I was him. But what's coming next? What's the next Marvel movie? Uh, Wakanda Forever. I haven't seen anything about that. Well, I think after this weekend we will. Because Marvel's doing their big panel at San Diego. Okay. And so they're promising to deliver the trailer for that. So um, we know that it's Wakanda versus the Atlanteans. That's cool. Yeah. So Namor is the villain. Okay. So what we don't know is who is Black Panther. It's Shuri. It's It's going to be Shuri. What's that? You don't think it's going to be Shuri? Maybe it is. I don't know. It's, It's so... Uh, what I'm understanding is uh, that there is possibility it could be that T'Challa had a son, and now that son is going to be the new Black Panther. So someone we didn't see. But how old was would T'Challa have to have been for him to have had a son? I don't know. A teen. <laughs> yeah. He would have had that kid like early. 20. Yeah, like. Yeah. So okay. We... That that could be interesting. Hey, you don't know until you see the trailer. But I will say that the um, Black Adam trailer seemed like a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Switching gears to the DCU. A little... Like, no, just just first. thinking... Not not to skip over anything that's coming, but I was just thinking of a trailer that has come out for something that I don't know if I would have had any interest for, and I'm kind of excited that they're doing JSA stuff. Like, that's kind of cool. Yeah. I think at the time, my comment was, like, it looks good. The JSA looked good on screen, but this is like third generation JSA. It's, I mean, aside from Dr. Fate, it's like Adam Smasher and Lightning 
and these are all characters who are like grandchildren of, of the original Justice Society characters from the 40s. So how are we going to go in and say, oh, here's the Justice Society. By the way, the Justice Society is this thing that's been around since the 1940s and they had these members and all that stuff. When we've had how many movies in the DC universe so far where no one mentions the JSA, there's no, like they don't exist. It's like Superman is the first superhero again, all that stuff, right? Do you think they'll make, um, yeah, that's true. Superman being the first superhero would be very hard to explain. Yeah. Uh, do you think they make a television show spinoff, kind of like they did with Peacemaker? Uh, they might. I wouldn't be surprised if they do something. Yeah. But I, I don't know. Would it be Pierce Brosnan again? I, I doubt it. I doubt he'd do a TV show. But that's true. Maybe. That's true. Sorry. Let's let's hop back over to the to the Marvel side of the uh, side of things. Okay. So after Wakanda Forever, they're going to introduce <laughs> Namor, and what follows that? I feel like I'm missing no, something obvious. Uh, well, we didn't talk about She-Hulk. Oh, that's right. She-Hulk is in August, coming up pretty soon. Are you um, a fan of the character? I like She-Hulk. I like that John Byrne, both John Byrne runs, because he did two great runs. Uh, and, and she was a fantastic member of the Fantastic Four mm-hmm. uh, when, when he did that series. Um, but I, I, I've never really had anybody, like Dan Slott did a fun run with the lawyer stuff. And I think they're drawing inspiration with for a lot of that. So like she's She-Hulk, she's lawyer to the superheroes and the superpowered beings. So I think we're going to address some of that in this. So um, they're they're definitely finding ways to be as comedic wherever they can be. Sometimes yeah. it's good, and sometimes it's a bit annoying. And I like that the Hulk is featured prominently in it as well. That's cool. Yeah, I'm happy that that's going to happen. Because um, I haven't, Ruffalo hasn't disappointed me yet as the Hulk. No, he and and I feel he should be somewhat rewarded with a series, television show, something, something that's just his. Because he's always, every time he's shown up, he's been, he's been good. Yeah, there's rumblings we're gonna get. Uh, we're trying to get a World War Hulk storyline, even though they truncated it a bit for Planet Hulk. Yeah. Uh, or Ragnarok. Yeah, I was confusing those two and stories for a second. the whole thing is that Universal has those rights, and you know, are they going to give them up? All that stuff. So. What's the deal with with Spider Man at this point? Is he Marvels again? Because they keep making Morbius and all these other Venoms and things like that. So is it still a shared partnership with with still Sony? Still a shared partnership. Yeah. So so is, has Sony basically said you can have Spider Man, but we get everything Spider Man related? But then again. Tom Hardy shows up in uh, No Way Home at the end credits, right? So, so um, they did agree to be more crossover friendly with the Spider-Man cinematic universe and the Marvel cinematic. But essentially, Tom Hardy, Tom Holland, is the MCU Spider-Man. Okay. Now we have two other viable Spider-Mans. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. You could turn around and say, "Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna have this Craven the Hunter movie, and you need Spider Man in it, but Spider Man isn't in this universe. We could just have it, you know, be uh, like Andrew Garfield. I would like that. Yeah. Um, and if you'd said that to me five years ago, I'd be like, "Oh, Andrew Garfield, that's done. Just let it go." But he came back and killed it. He did. I was gonna ask you, uh, seeing all three Spider Man. 
up on the yeah. on the screen. Big moment. I'd love to see them all get. I'd love to see Andrew Garfield get a great turn as Spider Man because the web movies were not great. They were okay. Yeah, I think I think the first one tried to do something more, you know, unique. But by the second one, you you fell into that same sort of thing that happened with the uh, Thor movie. You're just trying to do too many things, and you're you're missing the point of it. It was it was the Batman Forever or Spider Man movies. Yeah. It was like, so the the first Amazing Spider-Man was good, but I hated the look. I hated that basketball costume. Oh. It looked like he was a, he ripped a few basketballs apart and sewed them together. Oh, that's a good way to put it, yeah. And, and the, the eyes weren't right and all that stuff. But the quips and, and the energy was were really good. Um, so I like that they carried that over to Amazing Spider-Man. So that 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 Spider-Man that's at the beginning of Amazing Spider-Man, and he's stopping uh, the guy that basically becomes the right. Yeah, it's, it's this is Spider-Man from the comics, ripped right out, spot on. And I like Gwen Stacy in it and all that stuff. But then you introduce Electro, and I even didn't like. I didn't mind Electro. I thought he was better in No Way Home. I thought they perfected his character a little bit more, make him less nebbish and more villainous. Yeah, with credible threat. Like he's he's a guy that's in for it, into it for himself essentially. He's not right. He's not necessarily evil. He's just self motivated. Right. And it, that's going that's going to put him against Spider Man from time to time. So I, I like those aspects of it. I, I liked uh, uh, the Green Goblin stuff. I liked Dean DeHaan. I just didn't know where they were going with the fact that Norman Osborn was dead at the beginning, and and it was a family genetic disease and all that stuff. I just didn't like that. No, I didn't like that either. I, I don't know why. I mean, I know that the previous Spider-Man movie did a lot with the Green Goblin and with Harry Osborn, you know, but you got to just keep it simple. I think they were trying to, there's always that blend of ultimate Spider-Man with, you know, the, the classic version. And yeah, I don't know. Some stuff works, some stuff doesn't. doesn't translate to the film like that. Yeah, exactly. I I agree. But I, I think... Andrew Gar- I would love to see him get a fair shake at the character because I feel he was cast really well for it but got stuck in doing a movie that just lost its way yeah. completely. Where it starts off pitch perfect Spider-Man to at the very end you're like, what? how did we get here and how is his father alive? Not to say that there's no precedence for that but it's you don't need it. Well, don't forget his father was not alive in the theatrical cut. That's true. That's a That's a bonus feature. That's why you're the comic historian guy. You remember everything. <laughs> so I actually like that his father was alive because that suddenly opens up new stories. Sure. Where's his dad been? What's going on? How is how does like could his father have created a way to replicate the spider powers without having to go through the trauma of the radioactive spider bite or whatever he had at the beginning? And and, and were the Spider-Man powers specifically tailored to his genetics? As opposed to like could this the rant like that that actually kind of bothers me because the the great thing about Spider-Man and his origin is that it has to be random. It's just he happened to be the guy at that place at that time when that radioactive spider fell off the thing and bit him, and that if he hadn't been there, it might have fallen to the floor and died, or it might have bitten another person, and there might have been a different person with spider powers. 
who might have been a villain or a hero. Very what if, right? So, mm-hmm. but I, I love the fact that it's just random. They just pick Peter Parker. Uh, and later on, they've tried many times over the years to say, no, Peter Parker was destined for greatness. You know, something was going to happen with Peter Parker. And, uh, Jim Starlin had a, some stuff with the um, the Avengers and Marvel 2 in 1 annuals that had the death of Thanos. And Captain Marvel comes by, uh, dies uh, shortly afterwards. Warlock is dead. And he comes back from the dead and kills Thanos and all that stuff, too. Do you know that storyline? Yeah, yeah, I, I, the one, the um, final gauntlet one. Yeah. Yeah, I love so that story. In that storyline, they literally show Spider-Man swinging over the city, and then these cosmic enemies are talking and saying, yes, we pushed things in the right, because we knew that Peter Parker was destined for greatness, so we pushed that spider in the right thing so that oh. he would become Spider-Man and be destined for these great things. Like Right. So you you're more of the a fan of the randomness of it, like it's just yeah. dumb luck that because his whole life is kind of dumb luck. It goes dumb Parker luck, yeah. Yeah, it goes hand in hand with the with the characters the whole life. Yeah, like not everything works out for Peter Parker and Spider Man. How did you feel about the JMS stuff where there's that whole sort well, of connection to the totem and all that? Totem and stuff like that. Um, you know what? I enjoyed the JMS run but it was just off it was not right like the whole thing where uh you know like uh, why does he fight animal totem villains well that's because he is a totem himself like no i'm sorry that's that's garbage that's that's pulling that's trying to create an epic level to spider-man being part of a bigger thing that spider-verse did in a much better way by linking to other Spider-Man and other realities. But that's the problem again with that is that they're all variations of Peter Parker for the most part, or, you know, just, but it's basically everyone that's ever been a Spider-Man. So Flash Thompson, Spider-Man, and me, Spider-Man, hmm. you know, like all that stuff. So, so yeah, the JMS run, I've never been able to get through the whole thing. I always get to the... So once you get to the... When Stacy had sex with Norman Osborne and had two kids while she was in Europe, that's just like, where, where is this coming from? Yeah. Why is it given the keys I, to the thing? I always read up to there and then yeah. I can't continue with, I think it's the other is the major storyline right after that. And yeah. I just, I, I can't get through it. It's not to say because Mike Diodato's an incredible artist, but I just yeah. felt like that book worked with Ramita Jr drawing yeah. spider-man in those stories that was just, for some reason once it changes it's like this is a different book completely different book and he's trying to tell mm-hmm. different stories to match this art and it's it doesn't work like it's just that leaves such a bad taste in your mouth mm-hmm. and i don't know how much of one more day was his idea or editorial's idea i'm not going to put the blame on casada or him but oh horrible yeah that was so he needed an ending to his storyline, and um, they wanted to relaunch with the weekly Spider-Man with new things, new status quo. I think Joe made that decision. I think so too, and I like I like how in the No Way Home movie they take all of these things that have happened to Spider-Man, the mind swipe and the Doctor Strange uh, aspects of Spider-Man's relationship. Like, there's all these things that you can see. You know, it was almost like. Uh, 
somewhat of a tip of the hat to the clones or to the Spider-Verse, to all these things that you kind of know, and they made it work. They blended it. It's like, wow, that they pulled it off in a way that was better than what they did in the comic. That's yeah. tough. Yeah. That's where, uh, I mean, the, the, the movie people have it easy, I think, because they have everything to draw from. And then they can contextualize it and step back and say, what if we did this and put it together and, and come up with a story? Sometimes it works. Sometimes it's meh, like a TV stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like, but Spider-Man No Way Home, and I've had some smart writers, I think. I think so, too. On it as well. I was really, really happy that they pulled that off because when they, when you try to do too much every other time in a comic book movie, for a solo character especially, Spider-Man being the prime example with Spider-Man 3, it's just like it never goes well when you try to get everything in one movie. But they managed mm. to even do like the Sinister Six in a way. Like I didn't yeah. think I would ever see Sandman, Electro... Like all of the villains from those other movies fit. Mm -hmm. It was because they, they also had different feels, right? The way that the Mark Webb movies were to the Sam Raimi movies, they had different textures and feels to those worlds. Yeah. But somehow these guys blend. Who, who directed this Spider Man? I don't even know. Uh, which one? The No Way Home. Oh, um, what's the guy's name? Uh, He's, he's he was gonna do Fantastic Four. Uh, I can find out. It's my favorite Spider-Man movie, and I don't even know who who directed it. And I'm complimenting the movie like crazy. John Watts. And what and what did he? What else has he done? John Watts has done not a whole lot actually. He did obviously the Spider-Man movies. Yep. And they did a bunch of um, indie movies. Let's see. It's pretty tough. A tough uh, trick to pull something, off. Something called Clown. Never seen it. Never seen it. Um, Cop Car with uh, Kevin Bacon. <laughs> Never seen it. What does he have to do with the Great Buster? That's a documentary. Um, yeah. yeah, no, there's nothing here that... I. But, yeah, he did the Spider-Man movies. Those are his big... Uh, That's it. He was like... Big a, the, to fame. The one good thing that Marvel does is Marvel is able to highlight and select really good directors and tap them in to do Marvel stuff. International directors and people with their own flavor yeah and and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't like there are some i think having an egyptian director doing moon knight added a lot of greats like there was a lot of i really felt like uh, i understood yeah yeah Knight, where i didn't like if it would just been like pyramids and stuff like that i'd be like yeah whatever yeah We've no they did they that. did dig okay. into that really really well i think that was the fun part for me and my wife I actually, uh, we had to watch it in separate rooms because I was sick during that time. And we were shouting to each other in different bedrooms like, this is cool, isn't it? <laughs> Texting each other during, trying to sync it up to watch it. And it was mm -hmm. the Indiana Jones aspect of it that was a lot of fun when you get into all of the Egyptian runes and the pyramids and the, 
different gods and avatars. Like that was fun, mm-hmm. but it did get did get very trippy. Yeah, with a giant kaiju battle at the end. Yeah, that part was a uh, that was the part where I'm like, were you in for that too? Is that because that that was the part where I'm like, okay, this is kind of silly. Do I like it? I don't know. Probably because I don't mind monster movies. Sometimes I. I just got to remind myself, it's dumb. Have fun. Don't worry about it. It's gonna be okay. Yeah. Um. Stranger Things. Did you watch Stranger Things? I did. I did watch Stranger Things. Did you enjoy it? I freaking loved it. <laughs> I, you know, Stranger Things three was it was okay, but Stranger Things four, oh man, the the episode with running up that hill. Yeah. And the girl's got the thing in there and she's like hanging in the air and she's going to die. And then the music comes in and then she comes back. Oh, that was great. Yeah. That was some of the best filmmaking I've seen this year. Yeah. Just it, really rewarding. It was such a, for me, it was, I loved it too. But it was, there was moments where I'm like, this could be shorter. This doesn't have to be as long as they're making it. And there were some like storylines where I'm like, they didn't have to go there. That part was cheesy. But then I'm like, that's part of the charm of this whole thing yeah. is you have to like the cheesiness of it. And they've made it so – it really pays off. Like you got to watch it to the end. And yeah. uh, Eddie Munson's just a legend. Eddie Munson is a legend. Um, <laughs> those two episodes are like – the two final episodes are like two different movies. That's like we had season four and now we're going to have two finale movies to tie it all together. And, and that that epic fight where you've got all of the things happening in different places all around the, the world, right? So Levin is on the mental plane, and the kids are in the dark dimension, and then um, you know, Hopper is in Russia fighting fighting stuff. And, and all of those, it was like, to be honest, it was like the, the best parts of Star Wars movies. When you have multiple storylines going on, you've got like... The Luke storyline, you got the Han Solo storyline, you got all, like the space battle is happening at the same time, and it's all leading up to like uh, a series of events that tie together and just give you that payoff of you know Death Stars blows up or whatever. Uh, that's what that was to me. It was like, like, and then Hopper picks up a broadsword from out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's killing <laughs> monsters with broadswords. Where did the broadsword come from? Who knows? But it's like it was awesome. It was, you know what? When I hated the whole Russian storyline while I'm watching the show, I'm like, this doesn't. I just this doesn't go hand in hand with Joyce's character. She's always where her kids are. Like she's always knowing where wants to know. And if she doesn't, it drives her nuts. But when they got to that final scene when he grabs that sword, I said, "This is Dungeons and Dragons come to life. Like this is the whole story." Yeah. Duh, get go get on with it. You gotta love it for the fact that it's taking all of the horror movie elements, a little bit of like what you felt when you would watch Gremlins or stuff like B movies like Critters. It's got that B movie feel, but a then lot it of has on Oak Street, uh, yeah, the Dream Warriors in particular. Yeah, all of those type of things, and then mm-hmm. it's it's you know parts of the Goonies, and then when you're in the alternate yeah. dimension, like once you get to the end, you're like you realize why they went to Russia because they, 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 they made it like, Oh shit, this is a big deal. Like we're yeah. really going for it. It's not just the small town of Hawkins where strange things happen. Yeah. Right. It's, it's bigger than that. 
and they got to wrap it up. And, and I love that, you know, Eleven's like, I have to be a superhero. This is it. I got to do what I got to do. Uh, you know, she's going to become the She's the Jean Grey. And then, you know, she's she's dying, and I don't want to spoil it for everybody. Like, and then the one guy is like, I, I love you, and whatever, and then she gets the power from it, and like all that stuff is happening in, in the real world versus the mental plane. I just, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. And I gotta say, um, I don't know what the, the, I think his name's Caleb, Lucas's character, that scene, mm-hmm. like, he's gotta get some sort of credit for that performance. He really, really impressed me with those scenes. Yeah. I believed something that was so unbelievable, he made me believe it. Yeah. That was good. Yeah, yeah. I was happy with it. I was at first a little bit like, I don't know, this is getting a little too big, California and Russia and da 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 da. But by yeah. the end, I was like, I was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it ties it all together, and I can't wait to see how they're gonna wrap it all up. I really see. hope they stick the landing. Yeah, because it it almost felt like four seasons, four seasons would have been perfect. But yeah, yeah this this should be good. I'm excited. Uh, yeah. How about um, some things that you've bought that you've been really excited for? I saw just before you start when I went to BMV recently your Spider-Man Tashin book, and every time I see that, I always think of that's Kevin Boy's book. Oh yeah, no, it's uh, I love it. I mean, it's it's a nice oversized collection. It's got everything. It's the the ads, the letters, all that stuff. It's a full reproduction. Um, they're doing it for all of the, the, in theory, for all of the old Marvels from that era. But um, I'm not sure I would get it for everyone. Like the the next one they did was Avengers, and I'm like, yeah, the Avengers were okay, but that's not a great comic from that era. Like, no, eh? no, I mean, when do you feel Avengers started to get become a great comic? Um, that's a tough call because I think it doesn't really start getting really good until Roy Thomas and John Buscema are doing it. And then you've got the Kree Skull War, Sprawl War and all that stuff, which is like almost an issue 100. Yeah. But um, I don't love, I never loved the Avengers. Avengers were never that, like, like, they were the big Marvel team, but they've never really... Like the Fantastic Four were the big Marvel team. Yeah. Right? Fantastic Four, Avengers, X-Men at that time would have been third. And then it flipped on everybody or was X-Men. Yeah. Because X-Men was not good. Uh, I mean, it had some good stuff in it. But um, like the 60s X-Men, yeah, not the greatest stuff. It's not until you get Steranko and then uh, Neil Adams on, on board that it gets really good. But then it still doesn't even last after that, right? They, yeah, they, they just can't... do reprints. Yeah, so twenty issues of reprints until uh, Giant Size X Men One. It's strange. I've never had any desire to really read any of those X Men stories, and anything that is of importance, they always just show you in a flashback, and it's enough you need to know. I always start with the Claremont yeah. era. Um, yeah. Claremont. What about? How do you feel about the Ditko and Lee Doctor Strange? Um, I like it. It's more the the Ditko Doctor Strange because Lee didn't do too much. Um, that was more of Steve's thing than Spider Man. Uh, Sp- well, he did a lot with Spider Man. Stan really put his thumbprint on that one. 
I don't think he did with Doctor Strange as much. I think that was really Steve's strip. Um, I like Ditko's Doctor Strange. It's really good. It's psychedelic. Although, you know, Ditko was about the most non-psychedelic person as you could get. That's what I was going to ask because I feel he was so sh- like known to be straight-laced and what he had that sort of the Ayn Rand philosophy. I don't know where that would put him on the political spectrum, but I always remember hearing Den- Denny O'Neill and him having arguments about mm-hmm. stuff. So I, for him to do or create what essentially becomes the most psychedelic Marvel character other than Warlock, maybe. Um, it always, I always wondered like, where was he? And Jack Kirby as well. Like talk about some of the stuff that's in his head. Like what were they on? If not psychedelics. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So you would, you would, uh, just for the Ditko art of it, you would say the, the Dr. Strange is worthwhile. Uh, yeah, totally. I, I, I do think Dr. Strange is, if you like, if you like Ditko, you'll like Dr. Strange. Okay. Because it's the most Ditko thing. Okay. Were you a fan of Ditko's other works after Spider-Man and his Marvel stuff? Because that, that's what he's basically known for is Dr. Strange and Spider-Man, right? More than that, uh, Machine Man, well, was it? No, I mean, yeah. I mean, when it comes to superhero stuff, there's the Charlton stuff. Yeah. There's... Captain Adam and Blue Beetle. Okay. And uh, the question. That's true. Runs of those. Those were all him. Um, Peacemaker, a little bit. Not so much, but a little bit. Um, uh, Ditko, to me, um, he is the crossover between EC Comics and Marvel Comics, in my opinion. Because he takes that EC Comics horror tradition and monster tradition. Kirby was more flat-out monsters and adventure stories. But but Ditko, you know, he could... A lot of his stories have elements like EC Comics, like Tales from the Crypt and Haunt, Haunt of Hor- Font of Fear or whatever those other ones were. Uh, like, there's a, there's a host who introduces you something. Often, it's a guy in a trench coat and a slouch hat who's saying, like, the mysterious traveler or... The Phantom Stranger, those are all Ditko characters, right? So, um, or, or inspired or linked, like, um, and then later on when Ditko kind of left Marvel, DC, and Charlton, and he was doing his own stuff, he did characters like Mr. A, who was like black is white, or black, black, white is white. Yeah. And I'm being racist. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it was it was a a comic a comic strip or a book that was in black and white, right? That was the whole point of it. Yeah. So your 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 description is his morality was Randy. It was like you you have to pull yourself up. You can't be you can't rely on others. You have to do your own thing. You have to be a moral person. You cannot you can't muddle. You know, like it's either A or it's B. There's no. A plus, A minus, B, B minus, that kind of thing. It's either this or it's that. So you either, you know, like if you go with Yoda, you try, you do, or you don't. There's no try. Right, right. So. I mean, there's aspects of it that you can appreciate, and then there's always that part where you need a little bit of uh, relativism as well in life sure. because um, colors sometimes blend. That's just what happens. 
the thing with Ditko is that he was a commercial artist and he needed jobs. Mm. So uh, his own stuff was not paying him. He thought that by doing stories, that he would get out to fanzines, that they would print them, that he'd be able to make money off of them. But I don't think any of them really worked out that well. So he had to do more work for Charlton on their horror stuff. He had to do later jobs like Transformers coloring books and uh, you know GI Joe or Machine Man or um, Rom Space Knight. Yeah. But his heart wasn't there. No, not yeah. at all. Yeah, that's a shame. It was just a job. Yeah, he was basically the the JD Salinger of comics in a lot of ways. The stuff that he yeah. did, people followed, and they were huge Ditko fans. But to try to find the guy, no. I'm gonna say <laughs> you're giving me the ah. Ditko and Kirby both. Kirby had a bit of a renaissance when he went. Um, he fought for his artwork. Right. He did Destroyer Duck. He did a few independent things to try to get uh, notoriety again. But when Kirby, like when I was a kid in the 70s, it was very strange because it's just how old I am. <laughs> so you would have, there were two Fantastic Fours a month. There was Fantastic Four and there was Marvel's Greatest Comics. Marvel's Greatest Comics reprinted Lee and Kirby, and it was amazing. So you, I was able to get, uh, like every month, I was able to read new Fantastic Four with like Rich Buckler or George Perez or whoever was doing the art. And But I was also able to read classic Lee and Kirby stuff that, that really revolutionized things in the 60s. So, um, like... It's hard to take the Kirby of that era and align him with the Kirby that was doing 2001, right. Space Odyssey, or trying to do a Black Panther or a Captain America run, the whole Mad Bomb storyline. Right. Like they were uh, machine, like the Eternals. Right. I hate the Eternals. <laughs> it's awful. Like, of all the Marvel comics, I think the Eternals is. I don't. I don't like the look of it. I don't like anything about it. How did you I, feel I, about the movie? Hulk in it, but it's a Hulk robot. Uh, the long, boring movie. Yeah. That's all. I, all I could say. I mean, I like the actors. I didn't. I like parts of it. Uh, but I, I don't care about the Eternals. Like, so you, you would have to really work hard to make me care about the Eternals. And that movie doesn't succeed because it's just, I, I like, I, I would Icarus is your main character and you've turned him into a villain. Yeah, but, so, but I mean, I, I hate to be that guy, but you, you can see sort of the agenda of the storyline of what they wanted to tell. It felt like that to a point. And it's just like, we get it. We get your message, but can you just tell us a good like one? I didn't think that they needed to make the Eternals because right. I haven't met yet a comic book fan, writer, anyone who will tell me a good Eternal story to read. No one can tell me. Not even the Neil Gaiman, John Romita Jr. one is like that's only there because of the name recognition. Really, other yeah. than that, exactly. it's it's. I can't think of any, and it's just the fact that they reprinted it and put it in. I remember that King Kirby 
thing of the Eternals that they put in that it's huge, it's enormous. I'm like, well, that's kind of a cool book, but the story's incomplete. Like, it's not even a complete collection that you get. Um, the story that they have with that ties in with Thor, where it's that whole celestial epic. I don't know what it's called. Is that any good? Have you read that? Sorry. It's the it's the Thor and the Eternals. Like it's in the um, as the celestial saga or something like that. Yeah. No. Nothing. Yeah. And some of that was. I mean, I like Ron Friends' artwork in, in some of that, but I wasn't a huge person. Oh, that you're thinking of the DeFalco and Friends. I'm talking about oh, okay. before before Simonson in like the early three, the late two nineties and the three hundreds of Thor. That apparently that's where the celestial storyline that Jack Kirby never finishes kind of gets tied up. Not familiar oh, yeah. with that yeah. one? No, I have no opinion on that. It's, oh, just, it's just there. It's just there. Again, I, I, it doesn't. If you were to take two things that I didn't care about completely in the 70s, it would be Thor and Eternals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I love, I love Kirby Thor now. It's great. And I like Usima Thor. It's, it's almost as good. But. It just, it just, Thor is not an interesting character in the comics. Once you get past what, what Kirby and Lee were doing, like, it just, he, he meanders. He's just, like, again, it's like, he's yelling a lot and talking in Shakespearean English, and, 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 and it's not very good until Simonson comes up. Right, right, right. And then Walt just completely... Thor is suddenly one of the best characters. One, I'd say it more and more. It would probably be one of those, I have to keep that book forever. If I had five to pick from or two to pick from, I'd probably put... Just because it, it quenches the thirst of Marvel Comics, the sci-fi cosmic aspect, the mythology aspect. You feel like you're getting a little bit of like Lord of the Rings and Star Wars in a very strange way. I don't know if that makes sense, but I, I feel like you get a little bit of everything with Thor. Simonson knocks it out the park. Have you read any of his Ragnarok stuff that he's doing? I haven't. Yeah, I should, but I, I didn't. I didn't bother. He's a guy. He's a creator who I would love to to meet. Has he ever been to Fan Expo or to Toronto? This, uh, I'll call it during the Tiz years. Mm. He was here, so he drove up, and I want to say, so after I stopped working for the show, but before I came back. So I left in 2012 to focus on the comic lounge, and uh, I came back in 2015. So in one of those years, Simonson came up and was a guest, and he drove up with Wheezy, and uh, they had a great time, I think. But then something happened, and they didn't get something they were supposed to. So they were. Uh, the good thing is, I think we've 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 come to a solution, and we can try to get him back. Not this year, obviously. But I'm hoping maybe next year that we'll get Walt Simonson back. That'd be great. Everybody loves Walt Simonson. And, and um, there's so much of his stuff that I really like. Uh, but but that Thor run is is the top, in my opinion. One of the, uh, yeah. I, I, Marvel in the 80s, I, I talk about it often. I feel like I should start a podcast just about Marvel in the 80s because was, everything was just so good, it feels like. Every book was on the right course, and I don't, do you remember a, a time outside of the 80s where all the books were just like 
definitively good for those characters or teams. I feel like it. I don't know if you'll ever get that again. It was a sec, like a post golden era in a way. It's it's tough. Modern comics right now. It's tough to get that kind of like on the uh, turning it on its head. And I mean Thor. Like the whole Beta Ray Bill storyline that just completely revolutionized comics. Like there were all it was like something about that era. Everything was being reimagined and revisited. Still had the classic feel, but it was like breaking new ground. Yeah. Miller yeah. on Daredevil, Byrne on FF, Simonson on Thor, DeFalco and Joe Romina Jr. on Spider Man. And not DeFalco, um Roger Stern. Stern. Yeah. Roger Stern. Um you know, and, and there are a couple other things. X Men, obviously Claremont, with and, everybody, and then yeah. even Stern on the Avengers was really yeah. good. I don't know about you, but I like the uh, Michelini and and um, Layton Iron Man was strong. Like it was just uh, with John Romita Jr. and uh, that's fantastic stuff. The even Captain America, I thought the Gruenwald Captain America stuff was pretty good Mike too. Z- yeah. yeah. It was a yeah. good time. Like every book, it's like they're firing on all cylinders, and nobody is no character you felt was lacking in people trying to give it the best that they had. Everyone was like kind of competitive, almost like whose book is the best? Right, and that shooter was was really at the top of his game. Then he was hiring the best people and doing the best stuff. So, so yeah, no, it was really cool. Do you think it was it was him? It it was the shooter was the X factor. Um, I think he had really great editorial. Uh, had a really great editorial team. You had Al Milgram, Mark Grunwald, um, and, and other guys. So I just don't remember off the top. Yeah, of, of course. The Falco was in there too. Like they were all Jim Salakrup. That's right. I was gonna think say him. Like these guys were all. Danny Singerot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ralph Macchio. Carl Potts. Yeah. Like they were all pulling, you know, even Howard Mackey was editor at one point too. Yeah. They were all really, um, they loved the characters. This is where the fans took over Marvel Comics and took Marvel Comics into the next thing. I don't think that Marvel Comics right now is run by, aside from Tom Brevoort and a couple other people, I don't think it's a fan thing. I think it's all marketing and talking points, and it's even worse at DC. Um, you feel so you think, feel it as well. Like I feel that, but I always feel can can I say that to people? Because when you talk to a modern day creator, I just feel like the stuff that the big stuff is just not interesting right now. I'd rather see an image comic that hits me with a fresh story, because especially DC. I'm I, DC. I, I don't read any DC right now. It's, it's unless it's especially that book or something like that. And I'm sure they're doing good work. There's a lot of great talent there. They're doing a lot of great things on Batman. And, but I maybe Batman out. I've got I've read too many Batman stories. I've hit my saturation point. Yeah, that's yeah. really good to be a good Batman story. Uh, but I am loving Zeb Wells and Romita Junior Spider Man right now. I skipped a few years. I still have to read all of the Oddly and, and all those years. I love Oddly. Yeah, but, he, he wasn't on it as much as I was hoping he would be, unfortunately. I thought he said, right? Who's um, the other guy? Yeah, they're just after the um what was that event? The Craven event. I didn't mind that actually, the Craven Hunt or the Last Hunt. Is that what it, it was did called? Go on for a long time. It did go on for a bit of a long time, and I felt that the run was 
I don't know. It overwhelmed its stay. Maybe I just yeah. lost. I just lost interest in it quick, and it. I don't know if it held up, but Zeb Well stuff you're liking. I'm loving it. I I I haven't enjoyed Spider Man. It's 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 street level. It's um, the Tombstone is the main villain in the first arc. That's cool. But it's very subtle, right? Tombstone is cementing his power as a gang leader with people like Hammerhead. That's and cool. uh, the Rose and Crowdmaster, they're all around doing their, their thing. But it's all about where does Spider-Man fit in? Because Spider-Man is the rope wild card that always messes with their stuff. So what if what if Tombstone decided once and for all to do something about Spider-Man? And so uh, there's like literally a great uh, series of episodes where Spider-Man is tied to a chair and beaten almost to death by Tombstone. And, and all sorts of stuff happens. But you, I, I, and it really, Peter escapes and, and just goes nuts. And stuff happens that I want to ruin for you, but I really do recommend it. It's a great read. The first five issues are a single storyline. The next one is Ed McGuinness is coming in to do the anniversary issue. But I, I really, you know, there's a lot going on there that some things I don't care so much about, like Mary Jane apparently is married and has kids, and who are the kids? And, are they the guy's kids? Are they her kids? She's stepmother now. And Peter's got stuff going on. And, uh, I don't know. But uh, the debt collectors are after him and stuff. But I thought uh, I thought I really I really enjoyed it. It made me want to read it, which is something I can't really say about a lot. Like I have my I, I download my Marvel comics onto my iPad. Right. Right. I have three thousand Marvel comics to read on my iPad. From 2019 to now, yeah. I my my good pal Dave that I podcast with, he mm-hmm. um he was he ran the Marvel Comics Guide on Instagram that had a, a pretty large following and he put together reading lists online for people who he was a crossover fan. So all of the things that he wanted to just make a library of everything for people to know where to to read things from if they were interested, but he felt he couldn't take it anymore after secret wars i don't know if you felt that sort of burnout as well where everything came back and it was very much like things something strange is afoot and it's just not it's just not the same and is it maybe because all the great stories have already been told or because we're now in in a a different political spectrum that everyone kind of went cuckoo after trump and and it's like you said for me i don't know if you read it but after they made the Red Skull modeled after Jordan Peterson. I'm like, what are we doing? Like, let's just, like, it's too, it's, it's too obvious that you're, you're sending shots at each other in such right. a silly way. Like we're missing the point of some of these characters where maybe I'm wrong, but I always liked that with Captain America, you didn't know he just was the ideal. It wasn't, well, you know, I think the thing is right. Is that contextually, we uh, we're looking at the comics after the fact. Where if we lived through the comics, we might have seen that writers from the past were true. Like some some friend of mine pulled out a whole thing. He said, "Oh, I've got this Batman and the Insiders comic, and in it, these guys in a helicopter, these military guys, are saying, let 'Let's make America great again.'" Right. And he said, "Like, is that where Trump stole it from?" I'm like, "No." I, Ronald Reagan said it in a speech. It was a very famous speech. Yeah. 
like let's make America great again. So these guys were, and, and that was the Batman and the Insiders writer at that time, who hated Ronald Reagan, right? Throwing a shot at that speech by making these mercenaries say it, right? Yes. But we wouldn't catch that now. We would. You'd have to contextually go. Oh, wait a second. Someone's so saying that now. Um, I think it, it's. We draw a lot. Comics draw a lot from politics. They sure. always have. I think the, there's a there's a definite co- the whole comics gate thing where they're like no politics in comics and all that stuff. You can't escape politics in comics. Politics people are people. Yeah, they're going to yeah. express their views through it. Well, uh, this is the thing I have to remind myself is that as much as I don't like it in my comics from like when I read them growing over, I didn't see it. Comics was a propaganda thing in World War Two. Like that's where it comes from. Sure, absolutely. Now, should it be that way? Is that the way it's meant to be? I don't think so. I think it becomes what it becomes for the time. So, so when I look less so Marvel and more DC, DC um, editorial and marketing have a message they want to send, and they do it on the television shows and so forth. They want to send a message message of inclusion and LGBTQ and diversity and there's nothing wrong with those ideas and sentiments uh, but they're not natural they're not progressive in the storyline it's like like i have decided i a fan fiction writer have decided that robin is bisexual right in my fan fiction this this is i'm just i'm not saying i'm doing this but no i I get you writer is saying I like the idea of Robin kissing boys. So I'm going to make my Robin in my storyline kiss boys. And someone at DC editorial says, we love it. Make him gay. Right. Right. It doesn't matter if that character has not been. And, and I, I understand what they're, they're trying to be. They're trying to say it's a different era. Younger people are more open about stuff like that. And they're more forgiving and they're, than, than earlier generations, but to me, it's not generic storytelling. It's, it's like, it's a gender-driven storyline. And again, I don't think the agenda is is bad unto itself, but it's forced. And when it's forced, it's not good reading. Yes, I think you summed it up so beautifully without anyone being able to say something that you were offensive about, because it's mm-hmm. because it's you're right. And and this is my thing. I don't know, and maybe I'm just ignorant to my own biases, but I always feel that comics were able to tell storylines about all these things without ever hitting you in the head with it because you were going to apply it to where it applied in your life. Right. I always found that Marvel Comics in particular, but certainly DC, they they were progressive. They were open. They were inclusive. They, they embraced LGBTQ without having to hit you over the head with it. They would have gay characters in it. They always they, did. Like you had Maggie yeah. Sawyer, Sawyer in the 80s. I remember seeing that as a kid. Yeah. North um, Star and other characters. Uh, I guess there was yeah. a feeling that those were all marginalized characters. So there had to be somebody major. But I, think, then, but I think you even – but I think the strength of storytelling with something like Gotham Central or 52 and you get someone like Renee Montoya – or Batgirl. Yeah. If the story is really good, that character will rise. 
And yes. I don't think anybody would want to read the authority, a modern day authority, if they changed Apollo and um, Moon Knighter, right? Midnighter, Midnighter, sorry. I saw Moon Knight, we were talking about it before. Midnight, <laughs> like that's part of that story. Right. Batwoman, was... Batwoman is a gay woman who gets, like this is her story, don't change it. Yeah. Leave it be. And said, Greg Rucka came in and said, I have a great idea for a new Batwoman. And this is the character that I've come up with. And this is how I want to introduce that character. This is the artist I want to work with. Let's make this a great storyline. And he does. He does a great job introducing this character and shepherding it along for a while. But then I think without him, his direction, it just kind of falls apart. Other people do write it, but it just doesn't really, it doesn't have that same kind of dramatic effect. And so and it's good enough that, that we get a Batwoman TV show. Right. Right? And and the character, the actor they hire looks like that character from the comics. And there's that element of it. So there's there's definitely, uh, uh, with, uh, I can't remember what her name is, but uh, she quit. Yes. But she she was very good. She, she incorporated that character. So what are we going to do now that she's gone? She's quit. She's angry with us. Do we replace her or do we bring in somebody else? So then they just cast wide and it's like, this is for too far from the net. It's too, it's, I'm not saying that this actress is gray or anything. I just, it's just not, I was, I was engaged with the story of Kate Kane and her twin sister and where this was going. Right. And now she's just gone. So we're bringing in a ringer. Uh, That's the thing is that it, it's, it's over the head. Like some of these things become too over the head where it's like, we're getting your messaging However, and I don't know if this is still like the, if it's still what's going to happen, but that's not Booster Gold. Like, if no. you're going to tell a Booster Gold story, he's got to basically be, um, what was the actor's name? The Fast and the Furious actor who passed away. Paul Walker. That's yeah. Booster Gold. Pretty sure. much. You almost yeah, yeah. got to be annoyed with him. Yeah. Right? And if, you, if you're not going that route, just tell a different story. Yeah. You're not. You, that's not the character when people are gonna. If and maybe they do not care about the synergy between the original product feeding the TV show and having people get into both. Like I always, for me, maybe because I enjoy it, it's like that looks like a cool movie associated with. Now I want to read Hellboy because I like the movie. I know that there's more and this is going to be better. But maybe they don't care to do that because if I was a kid. And I went to watch a movie and then I go and read the comic and it's like, this Thor is not a comedy. Just as an example. It's, I don't know. I just feel that there's adaptation should have a, there should be a truth in the essence of it. Like it should feel like it. I don't know. And I I think the Marvel Cinematic Universe up until phase four very much had the feel of the comics. Like if you watched winter soldier and then you read winter soldier yes there's enough there that you would say and that's why it was a great seller when i had the store right people people definitely love that storyline and the essence of that storyline is there in that two and a half hour movie yes that they're really that's the character that is that character from that comic that is his story uh he's really epitomizing everything about it uh and, and so uh, you know that's why it's probably one of the best Marvel movies. Yeah. 100%. But there are other ones that are like that. No, sure. go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just agreeing with you 100%. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, I'm losing it. <laughs> oh, can you see me? No? Hello? You went into slow motion. Oh, no. Kev, can you see me? Yep, you're coming back. All right, I'm back. There we go. Technical you difficulties are finished. I just said I agree with you 100%. You were saying there's some movies after, like that are in that Marvel Universe where I don't know where you're going next. Go ahead. Yeah, no, that's that's basically it. Is that I think they there was up to a certain point they they cared to reference the comics, like Infinity War to me is the perfect Marvel crossover comic. Yes, it's like if you picked up Infinity Gauntlet and started reading it, it's the way the story works. If you were to pick up Secret Wars or yes. anything else, these are the beats. You jump from character to character, and then things pull together to the point where you got a, a like a, a an overall narrative yes right? so all these disparate elements are coming together the characters now have to work together mixed up a bit i i really think infinity war more than endgame really captures the feel of a marvel crossover comic i agree and it's it's a crossover comic that was done to perfection like even like it crossover comic book storylines check how they did it remember how it was done they they remember because yeah. it was even the change of location you would get the you know reminder you're here now you're on this yeah. planet and you catch up with that character and it doesn't always start off fast it starts off slow a little bit of dialogue and then yeah. a scene boom thor's back on i don't know how to say where the the nadavlier yeah i can't say it I know it when I see it, but yeah, and the end scene when Stormbreaker gets made—that's the end of an issue, right? So Thor is Thor emerges with his new costume, he blows it out of the water, and then the next issue, it's Thor in the air slamming his hammer down, and he's in action, and you get to see the new Thor. Yes, and then and then it, you know the other characters react to it, uh, but yeah, totally. That was that was a the six issue miniseries. Yeah, it perfectly captured. Perfectly captured. I uh, agree, hundred percent. It's a great uh, end point that leads into book two. Yeah, yeah. No, they did it to to perfection, and I like the the way that the end game does that Back to the Future trick of going into the first movie and existing in there for a bit. I like when you get to revisit. Like, man, now I want to watch that movie again. They were able to do that so well. Yeah. Um, it's but I, in, the, oh. in the comics. The, so you're talking no. about Secret Wars. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I actually like Hickman's Secret Wars because it builds up through Avengers, through Fantastic Four. There's the whole thread, the Council of Reeds. Yeah. All that stuff heads to, you know, there's the incursions and, and stuff is happening. And you can see that that's sort of where they're going with the, the Phase Four. Yeah. But not really well. No. it's I don't... I, I think that they are... I think they're getting to a point where only people like us will find something to appreciate at some point with a multiverse and all of these these characters that are more becoming like I don't know if Shang-Chi is going to take off the way you the way Black Panther did because there was a time that Black Panther in the comics was a character that people were like Are you reading this Black Panther but I don't know if that was ever the case with Shang-Chi except for people who had that cult following in the 70s right Right. And it just feels like it could work because Guardians worked. It's not saying that it can't, but it's kind of like when they did the all new, all different Marvel 
and you had the Avengers, and it was fine because it was Mark Wade writing it, but there wasn't any Avengers in it anymore. Like everyone was flipped, everyone was changed all at once. Yeah. And I feel like that's what's happening with this current phase. Well, that was that's. I mean, the nature of Marvel Comics too is to stretch and pull back. So at one point there was there was no Thor, there was no Captain America, there was no Iron Man. They all those were other characters. So at one point, a couple of years ago, there was like, it was Falcon as Captain America, it was Mighty Thor, it was Miss um, Marvel, Kamala Khan, and Miss Marvel. Uh, Spider Man was Miles Morales, you know, like it wasn't. And Amadeus Cho was the Hulk. Yes, yeah. It was no, no, none of the regular cast, and I feel DC is doing that now, a couple yeah. of years later, and it's like. You're not doing even as close of a good job as Marvel did. And they didn't pull it off that well. You should have learned. I mean, I have a very different... My relationship with DC Comics is they were kiddie comics when I was very little that I grew out of. And I read Marvels. Except for maybe Batman or a few other books. And then the 80s come along and DC says they've got Wolfman and Perez doing Titans. And they're like... Let's get more Marvel people to come over to DC and do their style of comics with us. And then you've got Miller doing Batman. You've got Byrne on Superman. You've got all the big names have switched over. And, and suddenly DC is producing comics that are as good or even better than what Marvel was doing. Yeah, they're competing. It's those characters, we followed them over. Yeah. Now, I think DC... The golden age for DC really is 1988 or 86 to 88 through to about New 52. That is a very cohesive, progressive, not progressive in the sense of ideas, but in the sense of... The universe moving along, characters growing. The development of a generational superhero universe that ties things together. Like the suddenly it's like the DC movies, right? So now we've got black Adam is bringing the generational JSA from pre 2011 DC comics into a movie with yeah. black Adam drawing from Jeff John's storylines from pre pre whatever that was new 52. Right, right, right. So and then we have those pre new 52 versions. The problem is, is that the DC cinematic universe isn't cohesive enough to bear the elasticity of a fully developed intergenerational superhero yes. universe. Yeah, no, they didn't. They haven't earned that. They didn't. They didn't build it that way. All we have is an immortal Wonder Woman, a Batman, Ben Affleck, Superman, and the Kryptonians, and like that's about Shazam. So now we have Shazam as well. But you can't really, if you're introducing a new heroic age, then introduce the characters. Give us a Green Lantern movie. Give us a Flash. Uh, we've got the Flash in Justice League. Now we're going to go back and do Crisis and, and, uh, and Flashpoint. Yeah. Fl it's just a lot of damage control, it feels like. Right. It's like, how can we fix this so we get a new Batman? Pretty we'll bring much. An old Batman. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what a mess. Yeah. That's why I'm not super crazy about it. Peacemaker... And Suicide Squad was much better in the sense that and again, this is the, the, the uh, it's not a problem with with Suicide Squad and Peacemaker, 
but it is kind of a problem in the way the DC cinematic universe evolves in that basically they said to James Gunn, draw from there whatever characters you want. And so he picks characters that have history with the characters that we love from that era of comics, 1986 to 2011. So you've got Bloodshot, the guy that shot Superman in yeah. Superman 2, issue 2, or whatever issue number was. Um, that character. And he's that guy. Yeah. Military guy, you can pull weapons out of nowhere, all sorts of stuff. So now it's like, I want to use that character. All right. But we never saw Superman fight that guy. Right. We don't know that guy. We just know that that was what the first Suicide Squad tried to do. They tried to show us flashbacks where Batman or the Flash captured Captain Cold or uh, Boomerang or whoever. Yeah. yeah. Captain Boomerang. Yeah. yeah. So that was to say that, yes, these characters did exist. We just didn't see that. The second one just goes beyond that and says, yeah, they're here. Whatever. They're here. The char- they're the characters you remember reading about. Yeah, you really gotta. You really just. It's getting to the point where you just gotta let it go, have fun if you want to have fun with it, and hopefully the the film is good to stand on its own. Because the Joker was good. I enjoyed the Batman. Suicide Squad was surprisingly much better than the first one. But you really don't know what connects to what, and maybe none of them do anymore. I Here's don't know. a comparison. I hate the Joker movie. Huh. As a Joker, it's not the Joker. It isn't the Joker. It's, it's psychotic clown man. It's yes, you're right. Guy that cracks up, and he kind of puts on paint that's like the Joker, but not it isn't quite the Joker. Now, if, if the storyline and then the fact that they shoot Horn in Bruce Wayne makes it worse, I think that they should have just ignored that all, and, and that, like the the his age is in line to be a Batman villain. Because he's only being old man when Bruce Wayne becomes. I Batman. hate when they do that. Yeah, that's what I didn't. Some of the stuff in the Gotham show, I was just like, I'm out of it. It just, this is kind of weird. Now, if they implied that somehow that uh, Jared Leto was inspired by that Joker, and, and you know, then okay, I guess I could say through the Batman, the three Jokers, right? So here you have the different versions. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. But again, again, ugh, you made a mess of it. Yeah, it's just not, it doesn't work. I mean, at least Marvel has a formula that works where they introduce characters. Yeah. Like, okay, so hey, Hercules, maybe you should take on Thor for me. Okay, now we have Hercules. And at some point in a future movie, Hercules will show up and he'll be funny. That's basically how it all works out. They're all comedians. Yeah, and Marvel, they're turning into comedians. It's true. Well, the lesson I learned from our, our chat today Batman. We're exhausted. Spider-Man is back because Bermuda Jr. is on the pencils. And that's always yeah. a good thing. Something's yeah. always a little bit better in the world when Ramita is drawing Spider-Man. Ramita Jr. Any of the Ramitas. I agree. Kevin, we've yeah. almost been at two hours, man. This has been a lot of fun to catch up with you. We got to do it's it again. We can't, wait. we can't wait too long to do this and hang out. Yes. And um, we'll definitely catch up. In a month, because I'm going to be hanging out with you in the green room. Because you never know who might pop in and just sit down to talk comic history. Last time it was Dan DeDeal. Silver Surfer might drop in. There you go. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with me this afternoon. It's always a pleasure, buddy. Glad to be back on the show. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. But we will do it again soon. And uh, I'll I'll pick a theme for us to go down. We did a really fun Superman, top five Superman stories. We'll maybe pick a character and do that again together. Yeah. Alright. Sounds good. Thank you, Kev. Thank you, everybody.
everybody for listening. Uh, if you're in Toronto, come to Fan Expo August. What are the dates? 21st or 24th? 25th to the 28th. 25th, 28th. Don't listen to me. Listen to Kev. He knows what he's talking about. And rate and review the show. It always helps to get the word out there and get more listeners. Thank you, everybody. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye.